0: Hello, listeners in the virtual universe, friends from near and far. It's me, Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And I'm very pleased to welcome you to this episode of the Little Brown School and Library podcast. I am now in the cave of literary fabulosity with two very special guests, one of whom is Editor-in-Chief Alvina Ling, star of stage and screen. And Instagram. Hello, Victoria. But even better. So much better! (laughs) Jazz hands, spirit fingers, jig of joy toes is Grace Lynn, National Book Award finalist, Newbery Honor winner, mother of an intriguing child, (laughs) New York Times bestseller,
1: Hi, Victoria.
0: (laughs) Just general, all-around good egg and actual real genius. We know this because you did a TED Talk, and they only let the smartest people do a TED Talk, right?
1: Um, Most of the time. (laughs) But in my case, there might have been some bribery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're here today, and we're going to have a wonderful, I hope, conversation that you'll all enjoy about Grace's work. Um, Some of her titles have been The Year of the Dog, Uh, which is one of my special favorites, Uh, When the Mountain... Where. Where the Mountain Meets the Moon and When the Sea Turned to Silver, along with, let's not forget the middle child, Starry River of the Sky, and numerous picture books, including A Big Moon Cake for Little Star, which is adorbs, as they say on the interwebs. Grace, welcome. Thank you. So you've written for multiple age groups... Young, verging on young adult with your middle grade novels. They're so sophisticated. They sort of verge up into that young adult uh, situation. Um, true middle grade, chapter book, the readers, picture books. What are the particular challenges that you've faced in writing for these age groups and audiences? And, and how do you make the switch uh, in your brain when you have multiple projects going on?
1: Oh, well, this is a really interesting question because... Uh, Most people nowadays know me as an author of novels where really I started as a picture book illustrator um, and writing picture books. So that's really where I started. That's where I began. That's really where the heart of all my work is. And what I've been doing all this time is just trying to figure out how to use my skills as a picture book author and illustrator and adapt them to these other genres. So in a way... um, in a way, it's just trying to figure out how to rework those skills. So for novels, uh, we'll go with the highest first. The novels... Uh, I tend to do a lot of stories upon stories because I think about patterns. That's how I think about my artwork. Uh, When I paint my pictures, I tend to use a lot of patterns. I tend to put a lot of colors on top of colors, patterns on top of patterns, and I use that as kind of a template of how to write my books. So I use a lot of stories upon stories. And also, uh, the biggest, the hardest thing about writing the novels Uh, was the description. I remember when I first wrote The Year of the Dog, Alvina came back to me and said, you need to add at least four descriptions on each page. Because I'd never written any description before. Um, I always, because I had background in picture book illustration and picture book writing, I always assumed that the descriptions would be in the pictures, but there's no pictures in a novel. So what I had to learn to do was to picture the images in my head, and then describe them in words. So it's really just using all those skills as a picture book creator and translating it for these different mediums.
0: I think that's super interesting to me uh, because I hadn't thought about the plot and the voice in that manner because what you're talking about with the description is sort of the voice element of the book. Yes, definitely. Alvina, what what have you done in working with Grace to address the different age audiences involved in her work?
2: Uh, well, uh, I don't know if many listeners will know this, but Grace and I were actually childhood friends. Uh, we met when we were 10. And then we reconnected when we were in our 20s and both breaking into publishing. So Grace had just gotten her first picture book contract, and I had moved to Boston to break into publishing and we became roommates. And as roommates, I did work with Grace on a lot of her picture books. So I was one of her early readers, and would go over the text. Um, But when I got my job at Little Brown, I had wanted to work with Grace on novels. And I asked Grace if she had any ideas for a novel. And that's when she wrote The Year of the Dog. Mm -hmm. And I do remember feeling like the text was really beautiful, but very, very, very spare. Um, I think the that resulting books are still very spare in a wonderful way but I do remember wanting to add the richness of the descriptions and I remember, I think some things that people love about those books are the descriptions of food because I do think a grace a, very, a good Graceland book makes you hungry um, and when we moved to the fantasies I think the language got even richer and more sophisticated and more layered um, so to be honest, um, with Year of the, the Year of the Dog, those were autobiographical, and mm-hmm. I'm a character in those books, and they're very delightful to have worked on because of that. But when she wrote Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, I thought, oh, my God, Grace is a genius, and I did not realize this since we met when we were 10 years old, <laughs> and where did that story come from?
0: Um, so, you know, I, I just help Grace. She, it's It really comes from her. I find it interesting to talk about this because – I'm fascinated by how authors develop their voices, but also develop the relationship with their readers, and we'll come back to a little bit more of that in a minute. But as you're thinking about the descriptions and working with Alvina to work on the language of this, part of that is expressing the voice of your characters or expressing the voice of the vision and getting that to work with the patterns of the plot. But I wonder, is it in your mind thinking about how much work do you want the reader to do or another phrase, way to phrase that is how much space do you want to give your reader to fill in the world
1: that's that's a good question um I think a lot of writing is, and a lot of creating books, is kind of an act of faith. You have to believe that the reader will come along for the ride, and you have to trust your reader that they'll figure it out. I know some, especially my latest novel, When the sea Turned to Silver, you know, it's a pretty complex book. And uh, and at points, I was like, maybe this is too complicated. But honestly, uh, I thought about all the letters and the students I've met who've loved my prior books. And I was like, no, I, I believe in them. I know that they will catch on. And I know that they will know what I'm, I'm trying to do here. And I think as, so far, I've, I feel like I've been proven right.
0: I would think so, too. And I'm intrigued from your perspective, Alvina, as an editor, somebody who sees a lot of different work from a lot of different people over time. I think about books um, such as, and authors like E.L. Konigsberg, who, you know, The Mixed-Up Files is not a simple book. A Wrinkle in Time is not a simple book. And these are in the same age range that Grace is working with in her novels, in her fantasy trilogy. But why is there an expectation that this age group needs something simpler?
2: I think that uh, outside of publishing, perhaps, there's that expectation. But I do think that true readers, the children themselves, their teachers, the librarians, um... I think they do realize how sophisticated middle grade can be and how sophisticated the readers are. Um, I do remember working with Grace very carefully on When the Sea Turned to Silver on all of those plot points and those layers. And we did worry how much of it is clear, how much of it is too much of a leap. And I think we reached the right balance, because from my point of view, I think it's okay if the reader doesn't get it on the first reading. And I didn't get it on the first reading either. I had to read it many, many times over the course of the editing. Um, but I think after reading it many times and after carefully reading, you do pick up on all of those details and you can understand how it all comes together. And that
1: I think is the genius of that book is how it all comes together at the end. I guess it's because it's the kind of it's also the kind of book that I like to read. I'm a big rereader. I like to reread books over and over and over again. And to me, when I discover something new, It's kind of like this great discovery, like a jewel. And so I guess because those are the books I love, I'm kind of creating those kind of books too. A book that you can read again and again and hopefully find something new. Well, that brings me into a follow-up point. How has your work
0: as an author affected your reading? Because before you were a writer, you were a reader. Before you were a drawer, you were a reader.
1: That's true. You know, what's really affected my... Being an author hasn't so much affected my my writing. Um, be, what has affected my writing or my books has actually been becoming a mom. <laughs> That's probably the, been the biggest... I was trying to think that was the, probably been the biggest influence and biggest game changer for me. Um, you know, I went to art school... Uh, I've studied children's literature. I've loved children's literature. I love all the classics. You know, one of the things that we held up in in school was, like, Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are. You know, like, that is, like, the ultimate book. We all, like, bow down to that book as, as you know, children's book gospel. But, you know, I have my own daughter, and, uh, you know, she turned, maybe when she was Four, I took out the book, like, this is where the wild things are. And she took one look at it, she grabbed it and she threw it under the bed. <laughs> she was like, No <laughs> She's like, That book is boring. And I said, We didn't even open it. How could you say that? And she would not let me read it. And all of a sudden I was I was starting to learn the disconnect between what we revere as children's book creators and what kids want or what some kids want, I should say what kids want but what some kids connect to and what real kids uh, may or may not value it's a, that's uh, that's an interesting
0: point because i was speaking to shannon hale and dean hale for another episode of the podcast and talking to shannon who's done a lot, who has spoken out quite a bit on gender in children's book and how has her how has her children coming into the age that she is writing for. Her children are now in that audience range. How has that changed her writing? And and she was discussing the responsibility she felt of, to write something that was engaging and, and substantial and respectful, not that she expects her kids to be her fans. That's, that's too hard, isn't yes. it? <laughs> but thinking, of, of, it gave her a closer appreciation of that.
1: Definitely. I mean, as, a, as an author who, who talks a lot about diversity issues, um, one of the things that I tried to do with Hazel, my, my daughter, is we would read three picture books a night. And my thing was that if we read a, a book with a white character, then we had to have one of the other books be at least a person of color or characters of color. And the third could be animals or something. And it was so difficult to get books that we would both agree on, there were so many books that she would that I would show her, and she was like, "No, just by the cover." Um, and the, I remember, I remember giving up some night saying, "Okay, it's all animal books this night," <laughs> because it was just so difficult. And it kind of showed me, like I said, the the disconnect um, between what we value as adults and creators and what kids want to read before they go to bed. So.
0: I know you do a lot of school visits in the year and you meet thousands of children in a year and you get a lot of feedback from them. What has meeting them and interacting with those audiences taught you?
1: Well, that's been really great. Uh, you know, I hate traveling to school visits, but I love the actual visits because meeting the kids is wonderful. That's actually one of the reasons why I um, fell in love with writing novels, because the feedback from kids is so much uh, stronger or so enthusiastic, so passionate when you talk to kids that are reading your novels, like third, fourth, fifth graders, because they have so much to say. Whereas picture books, um, you hear from the parents and you hear from the kids, but they don't have as much to say. So it's sometimes it, it doesn't feel as satisfying, whereas when you talk to the older kids, it's it's really satisfying because they, they can list every little thing that they loved about the book and they want to ask all these questions. And it's really my interaction with these older kids at all these schools that really gave me the confidence of making my books more and more complicated. You know, uh, The Year of the Dog... The year of the rat, dumpling days—they're—they're pretty anecdotal. They follow a straight line, Uh, but when I started writing *Where the Mountain Meets the Moon*, and I started talking to these kids, all these students, and I realized, you know, I can trust them. You know, they are—they are really smart. They're probably smarter than me. Like, they can handle a complicated story. I could write the most complicated story, and they will probably know more about it than I do. (laughs) So, uh, I think that's what's been really great. It's given me. it's giving me a big respect for their capacity of 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 reading of what they can read and what they will read have you ever
0: been surprised by those readers what they see in your books
1: um what's really funny is how often they will try to try to call out something that i did wrong or they'll be like so wait a minute in where the mountain meets the moon he only answers a question once every 99 years but the goldfish man got to answer his question in that and so did min lee and like how does that work you know so like they they pick up on all those little details and you know i have to give them a good answer which i did because I actually did think of that. Did did we talk about that? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just in case you're wondering, it's because the goldfish man tricks the old man of the moon to ask him the question first, not reversal. (laughs) So that is why he's able to get his answer. Um, But you know, those are like the small things that that I'm kind of surprised that they picked up on, yet so glad that um, they do. I love this idea that you're talking about a becoming braver in in
0: your writing by trusting your audience at the middle grade level, has this translated down into what you're doing with your readers, uh, the Ling and Ting books, and with your picture
1: books? Interacting with younger kids has made me rethink a little bit of my picture books. Um, So a lot of my picture books in the past have been very, um, very much about culture. Like for example, kite flying, it's just about a family creating kites. And I think that's been really good. There's a, there was a time when my daughter was about two and a half, three, three, where she didn't want any books that had any kind of stress or plots. She didn't want anything with plots in it. Uh, you know, like, um, it was like caps for sale. Like that was too stressful for her because what happened to all the caps, you know? And like the, her only book she wanted for a long time was like Katie and the big snow because all Katie does is dig the snow. <laughs> like she just digs the snow, and that was all she wanted. And uh, and at that age, the books I had done before, the like kite flying, dim sum for everyone, that was perfect for her. She just wanted to know more about the world. Didn't want to know the stress about the world. That and so that's been really great. It's made me realize though that each book, um, each book has its place in a different part for kids. So, but now as she's older books like that are kind of boring for her. Like now she's five, whereas when she was two and a half, three, that was the perfect book for her. That's the one she wanted every night. Now, Katie and the Big Snow is a little boring. She wants something that that has more of a plot, something something exciting happens. You know, um, the book This Is Not My Hat, I read that to her when she was uh, four and a half, and she cried. She thought it was the meanest book in the world. Because well, it is. <laughs> and like, she just, she just, she was like broken hearted about it. And, uh, and I realized, oh, you know, we have our picture books. And we say that they're just for this age. And it's not like the age is, the, it made me realize that the age range of picture books is so uh, not a good, not a good guiding point. Because kids develop at such different different ways at at, during like the difference between a three-year-old and a five-year-old is huge even a difference between a three-year-old and a four-year-old and a three and a three to three and a half year old is huge and uh what it made me realize is that our picture books are so varied and it's like finding the right book for your child at the right time and that's what makes it much more challenging and sometimes I think when for the older kids there's there's a little bit more they can stretch a little bit more Mm -hmm. so like a fourth grader and a third grader um can read my novel uh, and find a lot in it whereas I think um like my picture book I was talking about dim sum like a a three-year-old might love it whereas I can understand where a five-year-old might find it not as exciting, so I'm not sure if that's a great answer, but that's what I've learned. <laughs> Has your daughter since read Where the Wild Things Are? You know, we have not done Where the Wild Things Are, but we've done um, In the Night Kitchen, and she likes that a lot, um, so I should bring out, bring that back out from under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a heretic here. I strongly prefer In the Night Kitchen. Yeah, she really likes
0: In the Night Kitchen because um, it's playful and fun, and it's an adventure.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wore the world, well.
0: anyway. <laughs> Alvin, I'm going to ask you this question uh, for which you're not prepared, but it just occurred to me. Um, since you have worked so long with Grace and known Grace so long as as a friend and in, you know as a friendship and as professional, and worked with her in a variety of formats, how has working with Grace changed you as an editor? Because you've you have sort of grown up with each other, Grace as an, as a creator and you as an editor.
2: I think early on in my career when I was an editorial assistant, and a baby editor, as we sometimes say, I think the fact that Grace and I were roommates and I read her picture book text before anyone else did and we talked them over, I actually feel like that gave me a lot of practice to becoming an editor. And I think our love of reading actually influenced me as an editor as well because I do think that the role of an editor is to be a very careful reader. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the our our friendship, I think you know we when we're together, we always talk about work. I mean, you know, like that's that's fun for us. So we talk about books we've read or we talk about publishing gossip or we'll talk about um I think the controversies that have popped up in publishing and I think talking through all of that has helped me as, a, as an editor as well and think uh, critically in a different way mm-hmm. because I think Grace and I are actually very different people and we have very different perspectives. So I think being able to play off each other has been really helpful.
0: So a last question as we come to the end here is just to go back to genre a little bit uh, as opposed to age group. What is more fun for you to write, Grace? Your contemporary fiction or your fantasy novels?
1: That is a good question and a hard one to answer. Uh, so much of that, is, the answer, how so much of that answer has to do with um, what's going on in my life, <laughs> because there are times when the fantasy is just such a great escape, and it's such a great way for me to get lost in another world. And the contemporary, especially when I'm writing about my family or writing about. Um, things that has, have happened to me; those are just great things to write when I feel like I want to be in touch with my roots or in touch with my family and remember how close we are and, and to kind of embrace the love that you have in real life. So it's 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 hard to say right now <laughs> with everything going on. I think the fantasy is where I would lean to, but you know, <laughs> that's that's just because of of how I feel about the world in general right now.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you, Grace, coming in to chat with us today and Alvina as well. Uh, gentle listeners, um, it is true that I did not meet Grace Lynn when I was 10 years old uh, because I was probably 30 or 40 when she was 10, um, and, and I did not meet Alvina when I was 10 either. We did not grow up as childhood friends, but I feel very attached to Grace because I think she was one of the first authors whose books I worked on Lo, those many years ago when I started. And I will always remember calling Grace Lynn very early in the morning in Boston and almost blowing a big surprise. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll always have that, yeah, just checking if your phone's working. Go back to sleep now. I'm going to go away. Bye. Sorry. And on that note, friends, in the virtual waves and across the universe, we thank you for being with us at the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. Farewell. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.